The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each week, I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and I do hope to uh, mention a few names, perhaps, in answer to a question from a listener uh, here in the first segment about what some of my favorite uh, gold shares are. Uh, but in any event, I write about that extensively in my weekly newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and it is also published monthly as well. The monthly letter is the best of the of the best of the weeks, uh, the weekly letters. Um, an extensive letter, and if you'd like to try it, uh, you can uh, give us a call or send us an email, and we'll send you a free sample copy uh, so you can get an idea of what we do and what my newsletter is about. I mention it every week. I uh want to give you a little flavor of what the letter is about today, if uh, time permitting. And also, again, if you want to get a free sample copy, you can do that. Uh, just simply request it uh, by uh, at JT. Um, the best place is miningstocks.com for that. I uh, should also mention that I'm also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen has had a remarkable track record, uh, a very free thinker, uh, works extremely hard, uh, it finds stocks that are out of favor. He has a conviction that they have value, even if the market uh, doesn't. And unlike myself and a lot of other people I know, Chen has the uh, perseverance and the persistence and the confidence in his intellect to stick with something, even if the market doesn't agree with him for the longest time. I don't know how many times I've seen Chen uh, take a position in a stock, and, and I get tired of waiting uh, for the markets to start realizing the value, I get out, and the next thing I know, the stock takes off. Well, anyway, Chen, uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Is available, but uh, for new subscribers now, only at the start of the new year, because Chen does not make his letter available on an ongoing basis uh, to new subscribers. Um, but you can sign up for my newsletter again. Go to miningstocks.com or call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426. 
Um, should also like to remind you that the best website to go to for everything I do is jtaylormedia, jaytaylormedia.com. Uh, and uh, we are going to be adding a lot of new features to that website as time goes on. Uh, we are looking right now at uh, making this uh, radio show available by uh, that website, jtaylormedia.com. Um, and um, so there's a lot of things happening. I should also mention uh, the you can follow me on Twitter under the handle J Taylor Media, J A Y Taylor Media. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp, Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Um should also mention that if you enjoy this show, you might also enjoy Al Corlin's show. I am sometimes a guest on Al Corlin's show, but I'm not telling you to go there to listen to me. You can do that by tuning into this show. But you, um, uh, I think you might enjoy Al Corlin's show because it's, it's a little different format than mine. It's usually a roundtable. Al, a very personable fellow, talks uh, and his guests talk about subjects and topics of the day that are very interesting. And you get an four, five, six different people talking about the same subject and giving their views on it. I think very interesting stuff at kereport.com. would encourage you to keep your questions and comments and criticisms and uh, whatever thoughts you have about this show. Keep them coming in to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. I'd like to just go over a couple of the questions that, uh, and comments that have come to me since last week. Uh, one comes from a, a listener named Darren. He says, please comment and get your chartist to comment on the death cross that has just been confirmed in the gold chart that has been intact since the gold bull star, uh, started at the beginning of the last decade. This has me worried, he says, because the last time this has happened, 15 years ago, it did not reverse itself for another four years. Please comment on this occurring event on your shows so that I and many other avid listeners can gain an insight into our next move regarding the precious metal shares. Um, and he says, thanks. Uh, and this is, again, Darren is the listener. Well, Darren, I think we're going to be talking about this a little bit later today, possibly with Alistair McLeod and uh, most certainly uh, with Robert McHugh, two of our main guests today. Uh, we may also uh, ask uh, David Gerwitz in the last segment uh, if he has any thoughts along these lines, or if Charles Nanner uh, has some thoughts along these lines. And I, I do know that we'll be talking to, uh, Char- uh, to, um, uh, to, to Dr. McHugh later about this very issue, and uh, I think he'll have some important things to say along those lines. Another listener wrote in, uh, name is Dylan Bernstein. Uh, Dylan says, at the end of your recent show on October 22nd, you mentioned how you'd like to possibly have both Michael Maloney and Alistair McLeod simultaneously on your show discussing which they believe will occur, will occur first, deflation or inflation. Please try to make that interview occur. It will be a terrific one indeed. Thank you, Dylan Bernstein. Well, I have uh, cleared it with Alistair. He's willing to come on. I've not yet had a chance uh, to uh, to talk uh, to. Um, I've not yet had a chance to talk uh, to Char- uh, to Michael Maloney about it. I, I'm kind of figuring he will come on. Uh, I think it would be a very Im- interesting, but more importantly, a very important topic because you know whether we go into an inflation or a deflation makes all of the difference in the world with respect to what you want to own. Um, 
if there's any uncertainty about it, then you and if we go into a deflation, I mean, certainly the last thing you want to do is hold some debt. We'll be talking again to Robert, uh, to Dr. McHugh today about uh, which way and how to protect yourself uh, in either of these economic events, um, certainly, but very, very important. One thing that is good about this whole discussion is that precious metals, and especially gold, works extremely well under both uh, extremes. Another uh, person write, uh, wrote, uh, another listener wrote to say, a topic that I would uh, not like you to discuss is gold confiscation, which so many people have talked about, but simply confiscatory nature of future government involvement in gold mining. I don't believe there will be confiscation of gold or mines, which would uh, require a significant effort on the part of government. Instead, I believe there will be a uh, confiscatory tax on metals and mining, a strangling of restriction on all physical sales, he says, as in gun control, and a windfall profit tax are right up their alley. This is something they are very good at and would be easier for them to implement. What are your thoughts on this? Well, um, this listener is Bill. Bill, I would say to you that I, I think you're probably right about that. I would also point out, as Michael Maloney did last week, that actually we didn't have a confiscation of gold in the 1930s. Uh, the government actually paid us for the, the, the fixed rate price of gold and then revalued, of course. So in a sense, the government, uh, as governments do, stole from its people uh, wealth in that way. Um, and uh, so one way or another, governments, when they become desperate, do desperate things. So I think this is something that um, probably we need to look out for and try to protect ourselves as best we can. And I would mention that Michael Maloney, I think, came up uh, with a very good idea about gold jewelry, uh, buying very high-quality gold jewelry as a means of, uh, of preserving wealth, and certainly diamonds and other ways too. But gold, at least, is recognizable and is probably... Uh, is probably one way to go, but gold jewelry. I think diversification of different kinds of gold assets. If you're fortunate enough to be able to diversify, I think mining shares make sense. Uh, the mining companies were allowed to make a profit in the 1930s. I think a high tax rate, windfall taxes are probably very likely on the uh, on the gold side. Uh, gold mining companies, if gold goes to Ten thousand, twenty thousand, forty thousand dollars an ounce, the profits would be enormous, and I can't imagine a broke government not trying to get a big piece of that action, if not all of it, uh, as much as they can get away with it. No doubt about that, in my mind. Another uh, listener, um, Irina, uh, said, I really enjoy your show. I am a gold bug, but I'm disappointed that gold continues to meander. Can you advise on what gold stocks you think are currently more undervalued? Well, um, Irina, you know, I'm going to try to address this in the last segment of today's show if I have time. Uh, I would say that uh, if you take advantage of my offer for a free sample copy, you can get an idea of some of the uh, stocks that I uh, have really highlighted uh, among the exploration companies. I really favor, um, I really favor the producers right now, the early, pr- the producers that are not the big guys, the relatively small, mid-sized uh, gold producers that can grow organically, and that's really the uh, the focus. Also, uh, the project generators, still I like them a lot. Their share prices have gotten hit just about as hard as everyone else's, but the main difference there is that the uh, that those companies, the project generators, have not had to debase their, um, they've not had to inflate the number of shares outstanding 
Uh, and so they've been able to keep the, their share count down, and so they should be in a better shape to come out the other side when this gold bull market resumes. And, of course, we're going to be talking to our guests today about that. When do they think we're going to see the next leg up in the gold bull market? And uh, my thinking is when we do see that, it's going to be a sight to behold. I think we're going to see a bull market in gold that is going to make even the most rabid gold bulls uh, shake their head in disbelief. Well, let's get into today's show with three minutes left here. I've got to just tell you what we've got coming today. You know, today is October 29th, 2013. If my arithmetic is right, that is 84 years after the big event of 1929, October 29th, 1929, the stock market crash. Uh, it, it, it was a, an event uh, that put an abrupt end to the Roaring Twenties, in which uh, the hubris of those days was brought to an end. Prosperity, abundance, and optimism were replaced by bank failures, unemployment, poverty, pessimism, and extreme needs. Well, thanks to the Federal Reserve Bank, um, they provided a great amounts of quantitative easing back in the 1930s, and it didn't work. In fact, rather than a short-lived depression, recession, that uh, depression drug on for more than a decade. And uh, the Federal Reserve leaders, though, dis- despite the fact that the 1930s was a total failure, uh, they are continuing with the same policies now, uh, and even more so. And, and uh, you know, Paul Krugman is saying not enough even. We need to have even more and more money created out of nothing faster and faster. Well, as Einstein noted, the definition of insanity is when you keep doing the same thing but expect a different result. So, you know, could we see another decline like the 1920, uh, 1929 stock market crash? Could we see another depression like that? Well, unfortunately, I believe the answer to that is yes. And Dr. Robert McHugh will be with us a little later to tell us not only does he think it's a certainty, but in fact the next depression will be a magnitude worse than that that we experienced in the 1930s. Uh, Dr. Uh, McLeod, uh, or, I'm sorry, Dr. McHugh will be with me in the second hour, uh, at the start of the second hour. Uh, the first hour here, we're going to be talking to Daniel McAdams as soon as we come back from a commercial break. Uh, and then Alistair McLeod will be with me once again at about half past the hour in the, um, uh, in the third segment of today's show as well. And then, uh, at the end, of today's show, uh, or towards the end of today's show, I'm going to be talking to David Gerwitz. He, uh, from the Charles Nanner Research Group, uh, get Charles's view on the price of gold, where it's going, uh, and we'll see if David can give us a longer term view. Charles is really more for traders and people that are <clears throat> short term in the market. Um, and I've been able to, uh, to enjoy that service and, uh, would encourage you uh, to avail yourself to it, and David will tell us how you can do that. Well, um, w- one of the things we do want to talk about today with uh, Dr. McHugh is the coming ice, economic ice age, which is the name of his book, uh, and he will explain why he thinks that we are heading into some very, very difficult times. And uh, we want to talk to uh, um, we want to talk to Alistair also about his views on the gold market and the insidious. Uh, and the pernicious damage it has done by uh, f- fiat money. Also, want to get his thoughts on China, the demand for gold coming out of China, and uh, what the geopolitical significance of that might be. Uh, with the Chinese uh, now apparently taking as much gold or more gold per year off the markets than is produced by the mines. Where is that gold coming from? Why is China? Why is China coveting so much gold? 
and uh, we'll get Alistair's ideas about that. Well, speaking of geopolitics, we do have to go to a break now, but when we come back, we will be talking uh, geopolitics with Daniel uh, McAdams, who heads up the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Daniel McAdams. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again uh, a regular guest these days on this show, Daniel McAdams. He heads up the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And, uh, well, I was in Portugal last week, and last week's program was totally pre-recorded, and so uh, it just didn't work out to have Daniel on. But we like to have him on every week uh, because the uh, I think what he's doing with the Ron Paul Institute of Peace uh, – for peace and prosperity is so important in getting information out to the American people that is, uh, I, I believe, much more reliable than what we hear from the mainstream in terms of helping us understand what's really going on. Daniel worked for Ron Paul uh, in, when Ron Paul was a, a congressman as his foreign affairs advisor, and so he's extended that uh, you know his his experience and and talents uh, to help with the Ron Paul Institute. Uh, welcome, Daniel. Thanks for coming back again uh, to be on Thanks my show. Thanks so much, Jay. It's great to be back with you. Great to be it's back great to be back with you, and my apologies to you. I gave you the wrong time to be on the show, and uh, you weren't quite uh, ready. Uh, you are ready. You're always ready with the, with the content of, <laughs> of, your, of your website. No question about that, but uh, on a cell phone. So I just want my listeners to know that if the quality of Daniel's voice isn't what it should be or when it, what it would be normally, it's because of your host who gave him the wrong time to be on the show. In any event, uh, without wasting more time, blabbering about things that don't matter. Let's talk about some of the things that do matter. In fact, uh, I think that uh, what we like to do on this show always with you, Daniel, is to have you talk about some of the most important articles and issues that are presented at the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Um, It's very interesting, one written by Ron Paul himself, 
called a welcome U.S.-Saudi reset. It seems as though an 80-year alliance between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia may be in jeopardy uh, as the Saudis have become very upset with recent Obama policies. What are the Saudis so unhappy about, Daniel? Well, Jay, you know, they, they've been very unhappy that they don't... First of all, they were furious that Obama did not uh, go through with his plan to bomb Syria uh, at the end of August and early September. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have been... Uh, Supporting with with finances, with uh, all sorts of logistical support, the, um, the the insurgents who are fighting in Syria, uh, as as we know, many of whom are uh, are uh, Islamic radicals. Uh, Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia has been uh, has put an enormous amount of effort, you know, millions and millions of dollars behind this. They fully expected Obama to bomb uh, Syria in at the end of August and early September. And when this deal was brokered, they were, they were pretty irritated. Uh, but I really, the straw that broke the, uh, the Saudis' back, so to speak, uh, was the fact that the U.S. started talking to, uh, Iran. Uh, and that's just something they, they just can't, they just can't stand. Uh, so there was a little, uh, kerfuffle. The Saudis refused to speak at the U.N. General Assembly a few weeks ago. Uh, they had lobbied quite a while to, uh, to have a, a temporary seat on the U.N. Security Council. Uh, once they were finally awarded that, which is a coveted position, they said, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want it anyway. Uh, we're rejecting this seat uh, to send a message to the U.S. who we're irritated with. And then finally, um, they said, uh, we're going to reassess our relationship uh, with the U.S. Mm. So is it is it kind of a, a hissy fit? Maybe it is. Maybe they're trying to get attention. Uh, but uh, Dr. Paul, as you pointed out, uh, uh, calls this a welcome reset uh, to U.S.-Saudi policy, uh, U.S.-Saudi relations. Could you explain to me and to our listeners why the why the rift between I mean, why the Saudis and the Iranians hate each other so much? Well, a lot of it is is competition for control uh, to be you know to be the dominant power in the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there certainly is a religious component. Uh, to their to their um, uh, enmity toward each other, the, uh, the Iranians are a Shia mm-hmm. country, and the Saudis are, as you know, Sunni. Uh, so there is that element as well, and there's a competition for for who will be the uh, you know who will control that part of the world. Uh, the Saudis have long wanted to overthrow uh, the current Iranian government, and they have really kind of used the U.S. as a proxy, U.S. Uh, uh, aggressiveness toward Iran. Uh, the sanctions are all meant to weaken the Iranian government, you know, and lead to regime change. Mm-hmm. So that uh, they're sort of, uh, as Dr. Paul pointed out in his column, you know, they've been egging us on to fight their wars uh, for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the um, the alliance also uh, with the Israelis and the Saudis seem to hit it off or be sort of allies, right? Well, they certainly have. They have the same goals in the region. They've been. They've. They both want to see the Assad government overthrown. Mm-hmm. Um, they. Uh, they both want to see is uh, Iran taken down, uh, a regime change in Iran, uh, and these are the these are the two big goals that they share. And so, what, what Dr. Paul pointed out in his column is that look, if if you guys have this much in common, uh, you're both wealthy, you technically, you know, technologically advanced countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you need us in here fighting the battles for you? Why yeah. don't the two of you just get together, sort it out, and and do your best to to reorganize the region as you wish? You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, it's it's high time that we disengage from that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what is the answer to that? Why do they need us? Why do they want us? Well, the Saudis have virtually no military capability. Uh, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of money, and they buy a lot of fancy weapons. But you know, there's there's for for both countries, there's an implicit uh, U.S. military guarantee uh, that if they if they get out of line uh, or if they're attacked or what have you, the U.S. will come to their aid. Mm-hmm. And you know, going back to Dr. Paul's column, he, I think he rightly points out. I know you, you use this term a lot in in economics, but there's a certain type of moral hazard uh, in foreign policy as well. Mm-hmm. When a country knows that a much stronger, um, friendly country will fight its battles for it, it tends to be more reckless in its policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so this has been the case with both Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, in recent decades. And it might be a much more healthy situation if they did not have, uh, if you know, if we did not have this moral hazard that allowed them to behave more recklessly in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be, and they would be better off as well because they would be forced, they would be forced to look for different ways of making peace, of of solving the problems that they have uh, with other countries in the region. So it certainly uh, it would be to our benefit, which obviously Jay is our first concern. Uh, you know, both financially in terms of our own national security. It doesn't mm-hmm. do us any good to irritate more people overseas. We see what that brings. Right. Uh, so it, it does help us, but it certainly doesn't hurt them, and it helps them uh, quite a bit as well. Well, we see what that brings. Dr. Ron Paul talked about it uh, in the campaign, uh, and the CIA has seen it, but the American people have been brainwashed to believe that it's uh, that uh, that there's no repercussion. We go over and bomb and kill people with drones and stuff that we should just expect they should be happy that we do that uh, for their own good i guess you know so i don't i don't quite get it but that's you know it seems like though that the saudis are they warming up to the russians are they playing sort of hard to get or what's going on there there seems to be a, a warming up of relationship between russians the russians saudi arabia is that true well they don't i don't think they really have anywhere else to go you know there was um there was this meeting that was reported uh, at the end of July, between uh, the Saudi intelligence chief Bandar bin Sultan, uh, who, as you know, was the ambassador to the U.S. in Saudi Arabia for about 20 some years, and uh, he supposedly went to meet with uh, President Putin, uh, and the story went that he offered him all sorts of uh, incentives to uh, dissociate himself from uh, the Assad government in Syria, mm-hmm. and that uh, President Putin said uh, no dice. Uh, you know, uh, get out of here. The the Kremlin has denied that this is what happened at the meeting, uh, so it's it's hard to say exactly. But but uh, but clearly there was something that was seemed to be rebuffed. I think uh, in this meeting at the end of July. But so no, I don't think that there's a new warming in relations, and I also don't think they have anywhere else to go. The Chinese. Are are not uh, someone they can the Saudis can look to as a protector, for 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 one very good reason that the Chinese have no global uh, empire aspirations. You know, mm-hmm. they, that's, they they they're they're not foolish enough to get bogged down like unfortunately we have over the past few decades in trying to run the world. Uh, so they really don't have anywhere to turn for protectors. And unlike in, in 1973, oil is now a much more fungible commodity. And Dr. Paul wrote about this. Uh, they no longer, you know, a new Arab oil embargo would no longer have the same effect on the U.S. It certainly would be inconvenient if they chose to do something so drastic. 
but it wouldn't uh, bring us to a screeching halt like it would have, uh, like it did, you know, these 40 years ago. Because oil is more fungible now, and the Chinese would pick up the supplies. And I mean, let's say if they held up, they held the oil off the markets. There's other sources we can get it now, I guess. And of course, uh, fracking and that sort of thing in the U.S. is providing supplies that we didn't used to have. We're not nearly as dependent as we used to be. Is that is that the argument? Exactly, and it wouldn't. I mean, it certainly wouldn't be something that would be welcomed or convenient, but it wouldn't have this. It wouldn't grip the economy, as you know. Uh, back then, you know, it, it forced us into a recession. It had a, a, a long-ranging effect, and it just, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same scenario this time around. Uh, so I think uh, they, they don't have very, very many places to turn. Uh, so you yeah. know, we see every every few every few years the North Koreans throw a hissy fit to try to get our attention, and uh, you know, the, maybe this is what the Saudis are doing here. Uh, w- Dr. Paul, I think in his article, talked about Osama bin Laden's stated goal of, of having, of sucking the U.S. Uh, into military conflict to, to run us into, uh, in, into the poorhouse. Uh, is, that, uh, is that what's going on here? I mean, is it Al-Qaeda? I don't quite get the connection. I mean, on the one hand, the Saudis seem to be, uh, you know, aligning themselves with all these bad guys. People we're supposed to be at war against, um, and uh, it, it just does the whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me. Except somebody is making some money from this, Daniel. Somebody's making sure. money, right? That's what it's all about. Remember the Saudis were the, the Saudis were a chief supplier of mujahideen to fight uh, the Soviets back in Afghanistan at the time, and these groups later became uh, Al Qaeda itself, uh, including a fellow named Osama bin Laden. Um, you know, we had an, a very large component of Saudis involved in the 9-11 attacks here in the U.S. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so Saudi Arabia, to a degree, has been a bit of a malevolent uh, force uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think that can be denied. And, and, and you're right. Uh, Osama bin Laden did want to suck us into all of these, uh, to all any, you know, these, there was a tape that he recorded, you know, was explicit in his goals. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if we've fallen for it. You know, he... He, uh, you know, he said every time someone yells somewhere, the, the whole U.S. Army is going to have to go, and and that's that's the case. That's what's happening. So it's very, uh, it's very foolish on the part of the well, U.S. Yeah, it's uh, and the neocons are really ticked off at, at Obama now for for some of his policy measures, I guess. I mean, in terms of of Iran and and the ones you were just talking about in Syria, uh, they they don't want to um, uh, they they don't want peace. Obviously, they want to keep the war machinery. Uh, going along. Uh, on the other hand, Obama is not exactly an angel either, is he? He's, I mean, he's, this is a guy that's really sort of fostering an, an Orwellian world, essentially, of spying and manipulation of the population. Of, I mean, here, we got the whole world angry at, at the United States now for spying on its citizens, the French people, uh, even, even the leaders of foreign countries have their phones tapped. I mean, this is just ridiculous. What's, and what's really I mean, interesting... Interesting now is you see the, the White House denying that Obama knew about the tapping of, of foreign leaders' of personal phones. Uh, and then you have the NSA saying, oh, no, no, he did know about it. And I think this, is, this is, seems almost unprecedented to have a president and his own intelligence services arguing with each other over who knew what. Yeah. This is a question of how much control does he have over these people? You know, is this an $80 billion kind of rogue uh, government that, uh, that not even the president controls. It's, it's quite chilling. 
you know, Daniel, I think, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, No, I was going to say, I think the answer to that is probably yes. And the reason I say so, you know, we've, we've had, um, oh, the author of, um, of the, the book on the Bush family, um, and, and, uh, you know, the story there was that, that he gave there was that when Richard Nixon was president, he wanted the files, the CIA files on, on Kennedy to learn who was behind the Kennedy assassination. And he was denied those files by the CIA. To me, that tells me that the president is not really the president, that there is probably this, huh? No, it is very chilling. You're right. It and, seems you know, to me that, at, yeah. No, I'm sorry, Jay, I keep cutting you off. No, I keep cutting you off. Uh, we got another minute or so. Just uh, your thoughts on this. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting now when the, with the NSA backed into a corner, we saw um, General Alexander was uh, was up on Capitol Hill today. And, you know, the sort of, they say, the last refuge of a scoundrel was patriotism. And you know, here's what he said. You know, he said, now here's what the NSA does. Quote, it brings back more soldiers, airmen, and Marines alive from dangerous postings. So, so the implicit in that is that if you're questioning what the NSA is doing by spying on everyone, you're secretly wishing that all of these U.S. military men uh, were, would, would die, or at least you're certainly not concerned with them coming back healthy. Well, what and, a uh, lot of... He, it is awful. And, and, and he also says that, um, well, now that we can do all this, we can see what neither the CIA nor the FBI could see before 9-11. Well, hang on, then. How can we spend all of these billions and billions of dollars from 1947 up until September 2001, and they never thought of looking at any of these things? It's sort of yeah. a condemnation of everything the intelligence community has done in that period. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And, of course, this is why we, we are talking to you. Uh, and why the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity is so important is to shine the light on these scoundrels. I mean, the, 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 the mainstream press doesn't take the time to think. It's just quick sound bites and manipulative uh, slogans that get, people, that get people thinking in the wrong direction. It's the, it's the, uh, the con artistry of the propaganda machine that we have that's just so, it's so egregious and it's so, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's so undemocratic, of course, we, uh, as I've said before, Ron, uh, the um, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, is saying that America does not currently have a working democracy. So, former President of the United States is saying the United States is no longer a democracy; doesn't have representative government. So, what we have is a government by this, uh, by this, these, this rogue group of powerful, rich uh, military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about. Uh, Daniel, I just want to ask you. Um, you know, I went to the Ron Paul uh, TV channel the other day. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I've been a subscriber, just haven't taken the time. And it, there is so much good material there. I couldn't believe it. I watched a, I watched, uh, an interview that Ron did with uh, the former governor of Minnesota. And, oh, um, yes. uh, uh, um, uh, the wrestler. Uh, that was fantastic. And I would just like to tell our listeners, uh, it's, give the website that people can go to to, to watch Ron. But they have to sign up. It's a subscription service, but it's not all oh, that yes. expensive. No, it's not. It's ronpaulchannel.com, and uh, it, it is. It's a great deal of fun. It's wonderful to see Dr. Paul interviewing all these very interesting people. And, you know, he's no longer on the floor of the house, so he doesn't have to pull any punches. No. Uh, he, he lets you know what he thinks, and it's, it's just so wonderful that he's doing this, and all of these, these shows are preserved. As you say, you can go back and look at it at your, at your convenience, at your leisure, and he's just involved in a lot of cutting-edge things on it, so... 
I, I, like you, Jay, I was an early subscriber, and I, I have a ball with it. I think it's terrific. The only complaint I have is uh, is the time. You know, they're, they're, they're extensive interviews, I believe, at least the one I saw with, with the governor. Um, and uh, it's, you know, having a senior moment here, Daniel, the governor's name, the former well, well, they, wrestler. Yeah, Jesse Ventura, Jesse Ventura, yeah. Absolutely, well, Jesse very, Ventura. Sometimes he'll, sometimes he'll do just a five-minute, you know, he wants to talk about something in the news. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the one. The wonderful thing about an internet show, uh, you, you have your own schedule. If there's a short comment he wants to make about something in the news, he'll do a five minute. Something like with uh, Governor Ventura, you spend a good half an hour or so on it. So it's um, it really does vary by topic. Yeah, well, it's 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 a gold mine of information, just as uh, the Ron Paul Peace for uh, Institute for Peace and Prosperity is a gold mine of institute, uh, gold mine uh, that you can go to, and that is free, and you can catch Daniel's articles, a whole host of other people, uh, scholars and and politicians, people. Well, I would say statesmen rather than politicians, because I don't think Ron has politicians on his show, so are on his uh, <laughs> uh, that are involved with him in any kind of serious way. Uh, but anyway, I want to thank you, Daniel. We're out of town. I had uh, I, out of town. I'm out of town. I'm out of something. I'm I'm out of time, and uh, I'm out of my mind. The way it sounds, we do have to go to a break. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us again, Daniel. Thank I look forward to talking to you again next week. Again. Thank you. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Alistair McLeod, and uh, we're going to get his ideas on uh, Chinese purchases of gold, uh, inflation, deflation, uh, and, and a host of other topics. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod, who's been on this show a number of times. That uh, His uh, full bio is, uh, is available at the Voice America Business Channel and uh, under, under my radio show banner. So uh, go there. We don't want to spend too much time. Alistair always has so much to say. Uh, I would just mention that he is a former stockbroker and uh, he's an analyst he also writes uh, prolifically, and he writes a lot for uh, for uh, gold money. And also, he has a blog, a, uh, a website, or a blog of his own. It's Alastair 
mccloud.blogspot.com. And I would uh, urge you to go there because Alistair has, uh, as I say, lots of information, lots of insights and wisdom about the uh, precious metals markets and about uh, the economics, I would say, as well. Much, Very much an Austrian economics thinker and a person who... Uh, uh, I think has extraordinary insights into the uh, the makings, uh, the workings of the precious metals markets. So thank you again, Alistair, for joining me. No, it's my pleasure, Jay. Really good to have you with me again. Uh, before we get started on some of the things that you've written and talked about recently, um, we've had um, something called the Death Cross and uh, the next uh, uh, on the gold markets, and I guess it has to do with shorter-term averages uh, diving below the longer-term averages. And uh, we're going to be talking to Dr. Robert McHugh later today, who I know has some views on this. But in terms of, and his his idea is that we may have another six months to a year to go before we see the next leg of the gold market taking off. And then he thinks that, uh, he's an Elliott Wave guy, and he thinks that probably when the next leg of the bull market takes place, it's going to be a sight to behold. He thinks we're going to see a major rise in the uh, in the price of gold. But do you have any sense, I know you're very much a fundamental analyst, uh, but do you have any sense of how far and how long we, some of us guys on the long side of the gold market, might have to wait uh, for our ship to come in? That's always a very difficult question to answer. Um, but what I would say is that if you look at the rate at which money has been printed and credit has been created in the United States and everywhere else on the back of it, by the way, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's really got very long. I, I find it hard to see how we can survive the next six to eight months without, um, if you like, a crisis, call it a showdown between the markets and uh, the central banks. Um, and as far as gold is concerned, I personally uh, am of the view that the correction, which started from about 1920, actually bottomed out at 1180. Um, we're now nearly $200 above that, not quite $200 above that. Um, mm-hmm. We came, we, after, after that bottom, which was uh, at the end of June, uh, we had a, a, a fairly strong rally upwards. Um, we then uh, came off. Uh, and uh, I think that sort of small downtrend has now been broken on the upside. So to, to my way of thinking, we've had a bottom and then we've had a second bottom. Mm-hmm. The, point, the point about the second bottom, Jay, is that um, there was a huge sort of vested interest in trying to push the market down through the mm-hmm. 1200 level and it failed. Uh, it's not to say that it's absolutely cast in stone that, yeah. um, that you know that, that, that that's going to hold forever. But um, I think on the balance of prob- probability is that uh, the market actually has bottomed. We've seen a second bottom, and I think in Elliott Wave terms, if I can come back to the original mm-hmm. uh, proposition, I think we're about to uh, enter the third leg of this particular uh, okay. uh, impulse move, and so I think it should be really quite strong. Okay, so we might not have to wait six months. Uh, I it's, think not. It's, it's, it's awfully hard to say. I think what, what Robert McHugh, and we'll be talking to him later on today's show, but I think what he's, uh, in talking to him off mic, I think what he's talking about uh, is the granddaddy and what he believes is, you know, the, the really, truly big wave. So maybe there, you know, there's always these smaller waves within the bigger waves and Elliott wave, uh, Elliott wave pat patterns so um you know the the main thing i can say is that it's been very difficult for those of us in the junior gold share markets for uh, almost two years now so uh 
we are we are anxious. At the same time, I have been telling my subscribers to keep some cash on the side as this market was getting weaker, uh, so that you'll be in a position to buy uh, to 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 buy up some really uh, bargain basement uh, gold shares. And I think that's uh, really proving to be true. I'm seeing companies that are coming through with some great results, some great resources, and uh, you know nobody. They say you know who cares? Uh, nobody cares. But sooner or later. Uh, I think the world is going to have to wake up to the fact that uh, our monetary system is in trouble. You know, you mentioned the last time we talked uh, that, uh, in fact, uh, gold is really cheaper now than it was before it was apparent to the world that the world's monetary system was 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 in trouble. Uh, can you perhaps go over that concept again for our listeners, those that might not have heard that? I would be delighted to. I, um, I put together a, a new money metric, which basically measures all the cash and all the deposits in the uh, banking system. And uh, that I've called the fiat money quantity. Mm-hmm. And it is essentially the difference between sound money, which is gold, and fiat currency, which has been issued originally uh, as uh, a gold substitute, if you like, a money substitute, and is now just pure currency and nothing else. Um, Now, if you use that metric, uh, basically, you can see that it's expanded very, very rapidly ever since the Lehman crisis. Before then, it was following a a track of growing at an approximate rate of about 5.9% compound per annum. Uh, and since the Lehman, the Lehman crisis, basically it's taken off. And that's quite simply because we had TARP. We had the complete open-ended checkbook rescue of the banking system. And since then, we've had various forms of QE. So uh, we're now $4.5 trillion above that trend. That is 60%, over 60% above where the trend would otherwise be. Now, uh, in order to correct the um, uh, inflation potential of that move, you're really talking about contracting the amount of deposits by $4.5 trillion. I can't see how that can be done. But in terms of how it values gold, uh, obviously, you know, the amount of gold that has been mined since uh, uh, 2008 uh, is a figure. You've got to deflate gold by that, perhaps. Uh, but also, if you're looking, if you compare it against uh, the fiat money quantity, you've got to allow for the increased issuance of uh, fiat money. And uh, uh, if you uh, work through those adjustments, basically the price of gold is at a 30% discount to mm. where it was the month before the Lehman crisis hit the tape. Mm. So that is why, I mean, basically, uh, you know, whether it was right or wrong at $918 in the month before, um, is something one could argue about. But the one thing that is clear is that now we have a price 30% below where it was, and we are now aware of systemic risks. We are now aware that uh, the banking system, the global banking system, is actually quite a dangerous place. We are also now aware that governments themselves are in great financial difficulty and are relying on ultra-low interest rates to finance monetary expansion. It is a very dangerous situation, and I would suggest that a correct valuation for gold should be somewhat of a premium to reflect these risks over where it was in the month before the Lehman crisis, which was July 2008. Yeah, the risks uh, that, that no doubt become even worse given the, uh, given the remedies that are always prescribed for for these kinds of problems, too, because uh, you can just see it coming, can't you, Alistair? When the next problem hits, they'll just be uh, printing more and more faster and faster. 
So it's just it's yeah. an accelerating problem, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- that, that's right. Whenever uh, you get into a debt trap, the only way out is to try and do more of the same. And uh, essentially, that is what the Fed is going to do. And this is why this whole idea that there was going to be tapering um, was a complete nonsense. And uh, the proof was that just the suggestion of tapering was enough to destabilize markets all around the world uh, and destabilize the treasury market. And so the, the Fed had to rapidly withdraw from the suggestion. And do you think we're going to see tapering? No. 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 If anything, uh, they're going to have to accelerate the pace of monetary creation. In fact, uh, one guest that I've had on the show recently suggested that the next big bull market, the next big run-up in gold is likely to come uh, when the markets actually realize that there's not going to, not only not going to be any tapering, but there's going to be an acceleration of money creation. And that probably could really shake, uh, because I hear, you know, Alistair, you're talking about the world, we know, you know, when you say, we know that the world is, the world's monetary system is unstable. We know this and we know that, and there's pain and everything out there. But what I would say to you is that I think most people have been anesthetized by the propaganda machinery that we see on the mainstream media day in and day out. So that if, if when you say we, and I agree, you and I and Austrian thinkers and people that understand uh, that are not of the Keynesian persuasion, but, you know, when the Keynesians say all we need to do is have animal spirits, right, they don't seem yeah. to pay any attention to the fact that people are broke and they don't have any money to put food on their table. That doesn't matter. Just have animal spirits. So, uh, <laughs> I think I think I think Jay that uh, a lot of them do know there are problems. Um, yeah. they do realize this, uh, but they don't really know how to deal with it other than uh, what they have been taught, and that is uh, expand the quantity of money and um, you know sort of whistle and hope, uh, and that's what they're trying. Um, but they're now in a position where they can't actually stop pursuing that line without bringing the whole system down. Why? Because the overall level of debt is just so enormous, not only in the private sector, but importantly in the government. If interest rates were to rise to the natural level of interest rates rather than the artificial zero interest rates we have at the moment, then all the major governments would be completely bust. And that would undermine the currencies. It is as simple as that. What do you think the uh, interest rates would be, Alistair? Um, well, uh, it's hard to say that. I mean, it's it, just, it, it's impossible to say. It, 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 it is impossible. What I can uh, uh, tell you is that we had situations in, uh, in Britain back in the 1970s where um, interest rates would run at something like, let's say, the, the yield on, the, on, on uh, the long end of the gilt market would be something like 6 or 7%. Uh, then there would be a funding crisis. This was the, before the days mm-hmm. of QE, by the way. Sure. Then there would be a funding crisis, and uh, the market would stand off. It would almost be a buyer's strike, as it were. And the rate at which the Bank of England would issue gilts in order to unlock this funding jam, the rate just went up and up and up until finally the Bank of England had to issue stock at incredibly high rates just to clear the log jam. Then the market returned to some sort of normal. Now, we can't afford to do that. I mean, I remember gilt stocks, 15 and a quarters, 1998. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a coupon like that or anything no. like that? I mean, it's, oh. you know, it, 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 that is not going to happen. The system's going to fall apart before that happens. And the, the trouble is I just cannot see where the exit is. Um, there is no easy solution to this. And, uh, you know, whichever way it cuts, uh, as far as I can see, uh, it's going to undermine the currency 
um, or alternatively undermine business and we have a massive deflation. Um, now, if we had that, uh, that would be something deliberate, a deliberate act of policy from the Fed to stop printing money. I think that's what they should do, but yeah. I just cannot see them doing it. I can't either. I, I honestly can't either. And I think that you made a very interesting uh, observation uh, when you talked about, I, I think what hit home with me, Alistair, was when you said, think Iceland. What happens? The quantity of money isn't, uh, isn't the issue anymore. It's a confidence, a total con game, isn't it? It's a total confidence game. And when that confidence is lost, the money can, uh, can lose its value overnight, just, just as quick as you can say jack in the box. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the difference, so, sorry, go on, Jay. No, and that's why I believe that you are on the inflation side. You see that, you see that happening, don't you? Yeah, I do. It's, um, it, it, inflation and deflation are almost a sort of a bit of a misnomer for this because mm -hmm. if you just get a collapse in confidence in the currency, then the purchasing power of that currency just goes down uh, very rapidly. Um, and it may, it may stop going down at some point. It may not. We just don't know. Um, but that is not, if you like, uh, um, you know, what, what people expect in terms of an inflation uh, relationship between uh, the quantity of money and the effect on prices down the line. It is, it is, it is more important than that. The inflation consequences of increasing the quantity of money and credit are there, but they're likely to be overridden if there is a loss of confidence in the currency itself. Well, then, then there's going to be an exit, a, a rapid exit for real tangible items and, of course, uh, monetary items, uh, the most natural ones being gold and silver. That's why we're in those metals to try to preserve our wealth. And speaking of gold, uh, you have written a, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote about China and the enormous amount of demand that's coming out of China. We've got three minutes, my engineer tells me. Uh, what about what? Can you just talk about the demand in China? How much is China taking off the markets relative to the amount of gold that's been mined? And then, can you talk, uh, perhaps, give us put it in perspective? How much gold does China own relative to the United States and other major gold holders? Well, the second question um, we don't actually know the answer to because uh, they will not divulge how much gold they've got. All they will yeah. divulge is the monetary gold. Mm -hmm. In other words, the gold they hold as monetary reserves is around mm -hmm. about 1,050 tons. Mm -hmm. Now, that has not been re revised for, I think, uh, three or four years. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it is, it, we do know that the Chinese government uh, or the Communist Party, uh, whichever part of the government it is, has been acquiring all domestically mined gold. Mm -hmm. And this year, China will probably mine 440 tons. They are the largest gold mining nation in the world. Mm -hmm. And all that, all that gold goes to the government. And I had this confirmed. I was speaking to uh, a Swiss refiner uh, last week, and I asked him, do you ever see any Chinese bars? And he said, nope, haven't seen them for, for uh, an awful long time. They just don't mm -hmm. come on the market. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to the, your first question, uh, the rate at which Hong Kong and the Shanghai Gold Exchange – uh, is absorbing gold, delivering gold, um, and cutting out double counting, is an annualized rate of 2,600 tons. Wow. Now, if you take uh, world mine production, ex-China, that's about 2,260 tons. Hmm. So you can see that... Uh, even before we talk about India or anywhere else, mm. we're, looking, we're looking at a deficit 
of 340 tons on the rest of the world. I mean, this is quite staggering. Yeah, I, I see, for example, that Thailand, nobody talks about Thailand, Thailand takes 400 tons this year. That's the annualized rate at which they're taking it. Uh, well, India, um, uh, we no longer have a decent uh, uh, statistics on, on India, but you can bet your bottom dollar that they're smuggling in what they can't get through the customs. And that's probably another 700 to 800 tons this year. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the, there is a huge, huge um, balloon of demand at these prices, and someone is keeping it down. And one can only suspect that uh, central banks are involved in that. It's insane because uh, if if money if gold is being transferred from the west to the east, according to your work, where else it could uh, could all that gold be coming from? So when we have the gold price trashed as it was in April, uh, and and a lot of gold is coming out of the ETFs, I guess the gold is going it's coming from somewhere and being transferred because uh, obviously the demand is far greater than the new supplies coming onto the market. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's, but I mean if you look at the ETF quantities, that's that's not been enough to satisfy the demand. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I did I did the figures and I could see that this was, you know, still way, way short. The other possibility which people say is, well, you know, there's 160 odd thousand tons of above ground gold. So you've got lots of sellers there. No, for a start, most of it is tied up in jewelry, which is not readily accessible. And when you look at, uh, say, North America and European ownership of bullion outside the ETFs, it's actually pretty small. And the reason yeah. we know that is that uh, ownership of uh, bullion was banned in America until 1974, and it was banned in the UK until about 1971. So the idea that um, you know people have got a lot of deep storage gold which they can let out, no, it is not true. And I don't really think that under these uh, monetary conditions that long-term holders, and I think particularly in the Middle East, are likely sellers, uh, and I don't think they're supplying the market. Alistair, we're out of time. I can't believe it. I looked at the clock. My engineer is scolding me. I've got to run. There's so much more. Uh, we've got to have you back again. It seems to me what you're telling me, though, is the stage is being set for a gold bull market of, of unimaginable proportions. That's just all I can say. That's all I, it looks like to me. I think so, and I'm, I, I wouldn't hang around six or eight months. I think you might no, miss I, it. Well, I <laughs> think I think if you try to get out the door when everybody else is, you're going to miss it, and that's uh, that's well, that's well put. Well, thank you very much, Alistair, for being with us again. My apologies for not getting to anywhere nearly all the subjects we were going to talk about, but thank you very much, and we'll look forward to having you again if you're willing to come on with us. Thank you so much. That was my pleasure, Jay. Thank you. For Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the top of the hour commercial break with Dr. Robert McHugh. And uh, we'll talk to him about his recently published book, The Coming Economic Ice Age. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 